Just in time. King Wave Fox Beer Lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four Drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher Bath left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kim Pack's hat, you has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Good evening, Trekkies. It's Thursday night. It's September 29th, and you know what that means? That means we're live. That means you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking at 646-668-2433. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. Welcome to the podcast. I want to introduce to you my awesome Trek experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Well, I'm doing okay, Jim. We're having a nice little rainy evening slash day here, and uh, I'm a, that intro was quite something. I'm I, I feel kind of excited and kind of confused by it. I, I'm ex- <laughs> it's going to be a good show, man. <laughs> <laughs> they, they always are, aren't they? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I like that. Our very own David, the donut guy, and he did bring a couple of donuts with him this time, and he's also from Portland. How you doing, David? Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> As uh, Eric mentioned, it's... Uh... What's that? What kind of donuts? Uh, uh, so Portland has a very interesting brand of donut called Blue Star. And I ended up getting a <clears throat> raspberry, uh, raspberry uh, rosemary donut along with a tropical delight. Sounds delicious. If I had a transporter, yeah. I'd be right over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have well, we have Dunkin' Donuts, but we also we have Jones's Donuts, which is a local donut shop. Pretty good donuts, yeah. though, I guess. And also, we have with us our very own Charles, and Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. Feels nice to have autumn in the morning, but. I'm, t- I'm tired of summer in the afternoon. Though Eric did finally share some of his rain yesterday morning. Though maybe a few less lightning strikes and a little less flooding. But well, you know, we I readjusted my, ear- uh, my earbuds and now I can hear again. <laughs> well... We could be in Florida with Mark Lee, you know. That that's uh, Mark Lee's doing fair. He wasn't in the center of it. No, he wasn't. No. <clears throat> so, guys, uh, like I said, we are live, so you can give us a call six four six 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 eight two four three three, and 
that's one of the things that makes this podcast different from a lot of others in that you can participate. And there's many ways you can participate. One way is by letting your fingers do the walk and then calling Trek Talking at 646-668-2433. And the other way is on our Facebook page. Absolutely. You can go there, Trek Talking and Beyond, spell out A-N-D, and uh, you can participate with us there. So lots and lots of ways that you can participate. Uh, We're pretty excited tonight because we have 118,360 downloads of our podcast. Uh, If you're listening live, that's great. But if you're not, you can find us at podpage.com backslash trek-talking. You'll find all 487. That's right. 480. Well, actually, only 486 because this is 487. And this one's not there yet until after we get done. So there's only 486 there right now. And uh, you can go all the way back to the early, early days when it was just me and Admiral Ken. So please go and check that out. And over on our Facebook page, we have 114,264 followers, which is really awesome. So thank you to each and every one of you guys. Now, I hope you guys either listened live or downloaded later our podcast um, on Monday night of the Toy Chest. We talked to uh, John Stetzler, who is the uh, vice president of marketing for Playmates Toys. And we had a really great podcast. It was a lot of fun. We learned a lot of stuff. And I wanted to give a shout out of uh, congratulations to Mike Koopmans and uh, Desiree Terrebone. Uh, They both called in on Monday night and uh, talked to uh, John had some questions and uh, Mike picked up a Riker character and Desiree picked up data, which is really cool. I also had a Picard and I told you guys that if you couldn't listen live or call in live, that's fine because you could IM me later and Suzanne P I am the page later and she picked up captain Picard. So congratulations to everybody. And, uh, I want you all to remember that Star Trek fans are the best fans, and that is true. Um, We've got a lot of birthdays to uh, dive into tonight, but before we get to our birthdays or before we get to our fan shout-outs or, uh, you know, anything like that, there are a couple of things that I can't find on my page. Where did it go? Where did it go? I had everything lined up. Left in the bottom. So, uh, yeah, so I just, a couple of things I want to talk about right now before we get into anything, and uh, I want to say happy 35th birthday to Star Trek The Next Generation, 35 years ago, yesterday, it premiered, and, and I want to play for you guys the original television promo from 1987, that was all over the TV promoting Star Trek, The Next Generation, and here it is. Tonight, the 24th century begins. Welcome to the Enterprise. In a special world premiere movie, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Ready for departure, sir. 
Engage. 78 years have passed since the days of the original USS Enterprise. Now a new Galaxy Starship has been designed with a new team of highly skilled Federation explorers. Starfleet Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Commander Riker, Executive Officer, Chief Medical Officer Crusher, and her brilliant son, Wesley, Lieutenant Commander Data, an android, the telepathic Troy, Geordi, a man with unique vision, Security Officer Yar, and Klingon Officer Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their first mission, investigate a new star base on planet Denim 4. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. A hostile alien threatens the crew. Now go back. Well, thou shalt most certainly die. But they're determined to finish their mission. Arm our photon torpedoes. Place them on ready status. Hostile is now beginning to overtake us, sir. Together, they stand trial before a merciless corpse. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Now, they have 24 hours to uncover the secrets of a strange world. They're firing on far points, sir. Classic legend begins an all-new adventure. Let's see what's out there. Star Trek, the next generation. Now, I was there uh, for that premiere. We had a big Star Trek party at my apartment. We all crammed into my little living room and uh, had a pizza and watched it. I recorded it on VHS so that we could go back and watch it frame by frame and dissect it. The, the one thing that really excited us about that was the Enterprise separated. We went crazy when the Enterprise separated the saucer section from the star drive. And uh, wow, I just can't say I, I was I I loved it then, and I I just had never seen anything like that. And to me, it was like Star Trek is back. It's bigger. It's better. It's bolder. Um, I, I loved it right away. And of course, Klingon officer Worf got me right from the start so um yeah so eric do you remember the first time you saw encounter at farpoint oh yeah i sure do uh i was in high school and i remember that i had to gather up my family and i was like you guys are gonna sit and you're gonna watch this with me and you're gonna like it <laughs> it was a big family event i was so excited about it uh and i got the whole family gathered around the tv and we watched it, and I did the same thing. I remember I was laying on the floor on my stomach, and uh, when the Enterprise separated, I literally stood up and went, what is happening? <laughs> Just completely <laughs> freaked out. Um, so, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I immediately – we didn't even have a, uh, a VHS player at the time, so I couldn't, I couldn't record it. But I remember, um, you know, you couldn't just go online and buy things, but I remember starting to try and figure out how to track down that VHS. And within about a year or so, uh, or whenever they had it, I, I had that VHS, even though I had no way to play it. It would be like five or six years before I would actually get a VHS player, but <laughs> I had to have it. Yeah, I, I, that was really exciting when TNG hit. And how about you, Charles? You were what do you remember about the first time you saw Encounter at Firepoint? I'm almost positive it might have been in my mom's bedroom, the two of us sitting in her TV or in her bed, sitting there watching on TV. And just in awe that's like, oh, we're seeing live Star Trek on TV. For me the first time because I had just seen reruns and movies. 
to finally see a new series and to be excited about, oh, we finally got Star Trek on TV again. We were pumped and excited about it. I know one of the things that, that uh, I remember most about it, well, besides the ships separating, was the fact that in the opening sequence we see the USS Hood flying next to the Enterprise when they go to pick up Riker. And on TOS, we never really saw any other ships. Well, there was the one, we, we did see four um, Constitution-class ships in the Ultimate Computer. But uh, we never really got to see other Federation ships besides the Enterprise. And here we are in Counter at Farpoint. We see the USS Hood, Excelsior-class starship from Star Trek Three flying next to the Enterprise. And, and I was like, wow. Not, not only does the ship separate, but Starfleet has other ships. And that just, I was like, wow, this is going to be good. And how about you, David? Yep. What do you remember about the first time that you saw Encounter at Farpoint? 35 years ago. <laughs> well, I do have to say I do feel a little old. Um, <laughs> I was actually at my... I was actually at my grandparents' house. Um, I didn't actually saw it when it first came out, because I didn't really know about Star Trek back then. But uh, I remember seeing one of the Star Trek uh, TNG episodes, but it happened to be uh, counted five points. So, I don't know. It was, I, I, Like I said, I wasn't really much of a Star Trek fan back in the day, but I kind of became one in my early years. So, yeah. Later on, that's and actually, we have a caller on the line here, guys. If I can get this thing to connect. There we go. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello? Hello? Hey, this is Buddha Hello? Ray. How you doing? Hey, Ray. What's, what's happening, buddy? Yo, I, just walk, I, I, I just walked in the door. Just now. I just walked in the door. Just now. I just walked in. I, I, thank God. I, I'm, I thank God. I call you guys just in time to walk in the door. Hey, that's cool. Hey, what do you think, uh, Judge? Is Judge going to break the home run record? Yo, that's, yo, that, yo, I don't know. But that, that's what I'm thinking about all day uh, because um, they've they been running there all day today. I, I hope so. Because, you know what, it's been a long time since, you know, since the scene that's what the last time. I think that's what was, what, what was, um, Bond, wasn't it, last time they did that? I forgot. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while, but but anyway, like you got talking about, I walked into a counter. I forgot. Yeah, I, I remember it was a thirty-five minutes ago. Or yesterday, kind of far point. Can I miss you? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I saw about the day. Did you know what? I I got bumped into it when um like remember uh when Star Trek told the voice told the VHS and they showed the preview of it. That's what I said. I don't know. Let me check this out. So what? Yeah. So you know, so I just, I mean, so the next moment when they first came out, I kind of, you know, first of all, I say, you know, it's different because you know we're Kirk and Spock and McCoy, and then and and, then, and, and the one thing I like part was got me open was they brought McCoy, like you remember the the, the, the part with McCoy and Dale was walking the ship with his old yeah. stuff. That was <laughs> good. 137 years old, and he's still walking. Yep. 137 years old man still walking like that. Whoa, whoa, that's deep. <laughs> yeah, that's deep. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that well. Well, like I said, guys, and my and one more thing, my anniversary this week. I didn't call last week. I was busy last week. Well, it was September 29th. Was two episodes my favorite. 
Star Trek, uh, Make It Time, that's what everybody got ripped. Remember that part with Kirk, you're talking about, talking about, you know, the planet was destroying itself, and, and he smacked Spock, and Spock smacked him hard. <laughs> yup. <laughs> yup. some good stuff. He smacked him hard and all that stuff, and he, he turned around to everybody, he fooled out to him and said, where the seatbelts? What kind of preacher did with no seatbelts? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's true. Well, or, you know, well, I always thought if they don't have seatbelts, why aren't the chairs magnetized so that they don't fly around? You yeah, know? yeah, you know what? I've been seeing, I've been seeing that for years. The same thing about this. The same thing is, I mean, like I said, I know the show's out, right? It, it could be like one little simple thing, you know, you know, the first five minutes, right? Now we're talking like like forty, like this is like forty, forty-five minutes later, they solved the problem within the hour. I turn around like. Okay, I can see that going on. Yeah. Yeah, I can Absolutely. see that going on. Oh yeah, but you told me uh, before I go, you told me Mike just like, okay, I was I was watching what's the other night. Uh, was it Star Trek: The Darkness? Remember that part at the end when the ship was getting ready to crash and 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 and, 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 and about yo, we ain't going nowhere. And here you go, this uh, well, and, they, and they got the uh, what's the the Megatron things on the seats. I'm like, where does this happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. They did have seatbelts on uh, on the Enterprise and the yeah, Kelvin universe. Yep. Yeah, that's what I, I tell you, like, okay, okay, I can remember though it was the sixties. You know, saying you know, since the CSI wasn't really out yet, like that. So you know, yep. you know. So anyway, I mean, I mean, anyway, back to the Do Ranch. <laughs> so listen, you guys, you know, what I'm saying. You guys, you guys take care. I see you guys. I call you guys next week. I get, I got, I got to walk my dog right now. I just walk from work. I walk my dog. So I call you guys next week. Enjoy, enjoy your week off, right. right? Because right now, right now, right now it's getting kind of cold out here right now. Yeah, what, what's what's the temperature down in the Bronx? Um, what about now? Hold on, give me one second here. Uh, I gotta go my weather thing. No, I'm, I'm using I'm using two phones. Give me one second. Uh. Right about now is it's sixty degrees out here right now. Sixty, cool. Yeah, it's sixty degrees, but you know, it, it, I mean, it, it's kind of it's not like it's like like it's like you know like 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 you like you got a little bit of wind, you know, for the trees, a little, little bit of wind. You know, right. I'm like that. Um, ever since the other day we had that big behind rainstorm, was it um Monday night we had that big behind rainstorm. After that, everything just cooled down a bit. Not too cold for for October baseball though. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, 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 really, I'm really nervous about what's going on for the World Series. I'm really nervous about this. So let's just cross up and see what happens. Thinking about, That's all we about can this, do. I'm trying to call my mother law, and she's not answering her freaking phone right now. <laughs> oh, she's probably watching anyway, the game. Breaks the record. Right. <laughs> well, Ray, you go on. All right, guys, you take care. Thank you for calling, and you try to stay safe down there in the Bronx, buddy. All right, well, you too, guys. I'll call you guys next week. Have a good night. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. All right, guys. So that's uh, Encounter at Farpoint. But guess what? Because we're not done. We are not done because <laughs> we have another birthday to talk about tonight. And But this one's a, a, a slightly newer one than that. This one's not quite 35 years ago. This one is five years ago and it was five years ago yesterday that star trek discovery premiered and star trek discovery if you guys don't recall uh actually 
uh, the Vulcan Hello premiered on CBS Broadcast Television. And then the second part, um, the Battle of the Binary Stars, was exclusively on CBS All Access. Um, I don't know why they didn't play both back-to-back on broadcast television, but they didn't. It was only the first episode, and then the second one you had to watch on CBS All Access. But they, they were both on at make the same you, night. Make you want to go Make you want to go get CBS All Access to see what happened. That's right. Now, unless you had it, you got to watch them both. So yep. five years ago today, this promo was popping up all over the place. Captain, where are we going? We have no map, and you can't set a course without a star. It's hard to imagine. You've served under me for seven years. Commander Burnham. I think it is time we talked about you having your own command. Tutor transport. Great unifiers are few and far between, but they do come. Often such leaders will need a profound cause for their followers to rally around. What am I looking at? Object of unknown origin. We've come all this way, Captain. It would be irresponsible to leave whatever that is unknown. What have you done out there on the edge of Federation space? Computer. Enable igniter. Captain, what signature is detected? Contact Southeast Command. We have engaged the Klingons. You will never learn, Vulcan. Your tongue is too human. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to save all of you. We target its neck, cut off its head. Starfleet doesn't fire first. We have to. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone, to sense the coming of death. I sense it coming now. Now I remember. I, I'm, all of us must remember that we had a we had a premiere party over at Freakopolis Geekery, where um, and we all got together and had a big screen TV there, and we had pizza and everything else, and we all sat there and we watched the premiere of Star Trek Discovery. And I got to tell you, just like I was with the Next Generation, I was completely blown away by what I saw. What I saw was a movie of the week on television. The, the cinema, the cinemagraphics, uh, the, the sound, everything about it was like completely on par with what we were seeing from J.J. Abrams on the movie screens. And that just, I was just blown away with the, with the detail. And I also have to say, I enjoyed 
the Klingons, to see 24 houses, to see different Klingons. I liked that. And I, I liked Laurel right from the start. She's still my favorite. And I, I, I like seeing different Klingons. And they all had slightly different, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, the one Klingon wore like a, a gold headpiece. The house of yeah, just their uh, look was different. Yeah, they were uniquely. Yeah. Uh, they were unique. Yes, that's the word adorned, and um, I I liked it right from the get go. Um, so I was I was pulled in, and I, I was a fan right away. And I also liked I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but they spoke in Klingon, and they had Klingon subtitles, mm-hmm. like actual Klingon subtitles not english and klingon but klingon so you could you could actually read the klingon language if you wanted to have the klingon subtitles and i don't ever remember any other star trek having klingon subtitles as an option somebody correct me if i'm wrong well i mean the coolest thing about that jim was that it like when they first start showing the klingon subtitles you're like what is happening they're giving me subtitles that i can't read and I can't understand. And so it immediately puts you into the headspace of being the foreign entity in that environment, right? I loved that. I loved that they brought you into this space where you don't know what's going on because you can't read and you can't hear. And so you just got to kind of play it out and see what happens. That was so cool. Yeah. I was pulled in right from the get-go. So here I am today still talking about Discovery five years later, patiently waiting for season five. Yeah, How about you, I mean, David? That... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, <clears throat> hi. Uh, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> I was in the middle of eating. <laughs> um, you were eating a donut. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, I really do like the way the, um, the Klingons look uh, now that I uh, – later on. I mean, when I first saw them, I was like, Okay, they're a little different, but yeah. But now the more I think I thought about it over the years, I was thinking because I think they actually mentioned that they were part of some sort of like sect, like a yeah. uh, a group of Klingons. And so I was thinking, you know, later on in the season, they actually did start to show regular what TNG Klingon version would look like, and that's the one I grew up and got used to. And yeah, I know that there's whole. Uh, Kirk version of Klingons and everything, but then they kind of like retro that whole idea into the Enterprise, how they came. And so, I don't know. I just got used to the whole head rigid from the TNG version. But yeah, so over the years, I actually noticed that, yeah, you know, they could look somewhat different. I mean, not all humans look the same, so, you know, why not? <laughs> so, you know, True. the idea that the, uh, uh, a particular set of group of people, or Klingons in this case, were together and they just started forming their own, I guess in the case of the house, you know, that they were, even though they're all different houses within that same ship, but, you know, it's just the idea that they looked slightly different kind of, it, it just had to grow on me over the years, but, you know, now I'm kind of getting it, and, yeah, it's uh, pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, and then how about you? What, do you? what do you remember about the first time you saw Discovery, Charles? I think this is the, really the first first brand new episode of Star Trek. We got to see 
on our own televisions in HD. This is the first time we really got high definition Star Trek. We had some HD conversions, but this is the first time we really had it where it was actually released in high def its first run. And it was it was big. It was big, it was massive, it was movie level. And it's like, wow, we're seeing movie level Star Trek TV shows. We, I think those of us on the show, the three of us just had our jaws dropped and just could not believe what great Star Trek we were suddenly getting. Yeah, I couldn't I agree. We just couldn't stop talking about. We couldn't stop talking about it, right, Eric? Uh, no, yeah, we, I mean we were we were all on board right from the beginning. And I think one thing that was kind of interesting about Discovery when it came out that took us all just a little bit of getting used to was the pace at which it moved. I mean, Discovery came on, and it is like things are on fire, and that story is moving, and it is trucking forward. And I I know that I like that that pace of storytelling is cool with me. It did take a little bit of getting used to because I feel like your, um, you know, your, your 50, whatever it is, 47 minute long <laughs> TNG episode. I mean, sometimes they would take those stories and they'd stretch them out just a little bit. And sometimes they'd take them and they compress them a little bit just because they had to uh, fit into a, a specific amount of time. Discovery, they don't have to fit into a specific amount of time, and they just cranked through that story, and it was like story, 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 story. So I loved it uh, right from the beginning. I loved the graphics. I loved how much they spent on special effects, and I loved how many women I saw on the ship. I think it was, um, you know, I mean, Voyager, certainly you had a woman chief engineer. You had a woman captain. Um, you know, in later seasons, you would get other key women on the on the bridge, but I feel like Discovery was kind of like, we're going to start with women as the default, and then we're going to throw in a couple of dudes here and there rather than throwing in the yeah. token woman. So I thought that was kind of, that was just unique and, you know, very consistent with the idea that Star Trek is always trying to push that representation envelope forward. And we didn't see the Discovery until the third episode, which was strange. I know, that was... That was what was wild about it. And then after we see the Discovery and we see the Klingons, then we all went and did our internet research and re-remembered that Star Trek Phase 2 had shown us or was going to show us all of this stuff. They just never got it off the ground, uh, right? Gene Roddenberry had drawn the Klingons like this. We, uh, or his people had drawn the Klingons like this. Um, his people had drawn the Phase 2 uh, Enterprise to look like a big triangle, kind of like this Discovery look. So it's cool that we went back and grabbed a bunch of stuff that never was used by Roddenberry in the past because of Star Trek The Motion Picture, and we actually get to see it on screen. So just a really special yeah. moment. So those are our two big birthdays that I wanted to get out of the way at the top of the show. I just thought those were important to, to talk about a little bit. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. So, guys, if you head over to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond, spell that out, you will see at the top of the page, live long and prosper, and a simple question. Hey, tell us where you're listening from. And if you do that and you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, 
then you want to tune into the next podcast because your name is going to be immortalized as a not only a Star Trek fan, but a supporter of Trek Talking. So, Eric, who is on your list? Uh, Jim, I am spending some time down under today, so I'd first like to say hello and send out a big live long and prosper to Ken Stewart, who is saying hello to us from Geelong in Victoria, Australia. That's right. Several supporters from Australia tonight. So, Ken, thanks very much for listening to us way down there and carrying that Trek Talking flag where you live. Also from Brisbane, Australia, we're saying hello and sending out a hearty kapla to Helen Bruner. Hello, Helen. Thank you so much for listening to us and for being yet another Aussie on our list. We really appreciate it. Um, can't tell you how much it, it means to us that people on a, a different side of the planet actually listen to us. Thank you so much. Top fan Tanya Jones is also checking in from Perth, Australia. That's right. I have some friends in Perth. So, Tanya uh, say hi to Joe for me uh, way down there in Perth. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. And my final fan shout-out this week goes out to Dave Plugeman, who is saying hello to us from the Netherlands. That's right, Holland, uh, more than 50% of your landmass is below sea level. I don't know how you guys do that, but uh, Dave says hello from Limburg. We say hello and live long and prosper to you. Charles, who would you like to say hello to? Let's start off with Anita Gentry in the Seattle area. It was just up in Seattle over Labor Day weekend. Great weather. Linda Wilson from St. Peter's, Missouri. Manton. Oh, the firm. Eric might uh, help me on that one. He's a little yeah, better on the Yeah, this is one of those French-Canadian one. ones. I think it's Le Fabouve. Le Fabouve. That sounds That's good. That's my guess. Let's We're go with that. that. Yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> We're from Montreal, Canada. I'm uh, not so good in my French. And top fan, David Martin from Michigan. David, who's on your list? All right. So... I guess who I have is Louis Beza from Texas. I'm from Houston. Houston or Houston? Something like that. Houston. <laughs> Houston. 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 <laughs> it's not Houston. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Uh, <laughs> no, you say Houston. You say Soho. When you're in New York City, you say Houston so that you could be Soho or Noho. But when you're in Texas, you say Houston. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so, hello to Louis Biza. Um, another one is Olivia Funkhauser. Is that Hauser or Hooser? Hauser. Absolutely Hauser. Okay. Hauser. Hauser. from Mississippi, USA. <laughs> Next on my list is Pamela Mayo Anthony from Michigan. And last on my list is Ernie L. Bello from New Jersey. And Eric, back to you. Coming back to me, I'm going to say hello and send out a big hearty kapla to Jonas Cohen-Bruin, also from the Netherlands. I cannot wait to visit your country. Smiles and live long and prosper is going out to you. And wait, we're not done with the Netherlands, folks. We got lots more. We got Mike Hoffman from the Netherlands, who sends us a flag and a little tulip. Oh, that is adorable. Marcel Karst, also from the Netherlands. Live long and prosper to you. And finally, from beautiful Breda, 
all the way from Holland. We have Fred Springer, who also sends us the Dutch flag. Jim, who are you saying hello to? Well, we're going to wrap up our fan shout-outs and say kapla to David Fleming, who's in the birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk himself, Iowa. We're also going to say live long and prosper to Mary Church, who's listening to us in Edmonds, Washington. We want to say thank you to listening to Janet Morgan, who's in Dundee, Scotland, which, by the way, is where my grandmother is from. So that's really cool. And last but not least, we want to say thank you and kapla to top fan Christopher Burrell, who's listening to us from Northeast Georgia. I hope you're safe down there in Northeast Georgia. So uh, that wraps up our fan shout-outs. If you guys would like to hear your name on a future fan shout-out, just head over to our Facebook page and tell us where you're listening from and look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. And this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthday. That was not a Klingon song. All right, guys, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who sadly are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, we're going to remember nine members of our Star Trek family who have gone before us today. Uh, The first is actor Robert Heron, who did play a Klingon, Kalos the Unforgettable, in TOS's episode, The Savage Curtain, but perhaps is maybe more well-known in some ways for his stunt work. Uh, He, of course, was the stunt double for Jeffrey Hunter, uh, way back in the cage days, and then would receive uncredited, uh, uh, you know, kudos for that in the menagerie when they reused that footage. He was also an uncredited crew member named Sam in the episode Charlie X, and, uh, you know, would go on to play several roles throughout many films throughout his lifetime. But uh, he was really a stuntman first and an actor second and live to the ripe old age of 97 years old. So uh, we send out our love and remembrances to good old Bob Heron, the first Kalis, the unforgettable that we get to see back in the TOS days. So happy birthday, Bob. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Shaman Glass, who, of course, played Benton in TOS's episode, Mud's Women. We have a few uh, Mud birthdays today. This is the first. Uh, and prior to his role on Star Trek, uh, Glass, of course, made several appearances in Perry Mason uh, and just had one film feature credit uh, in 1960s epic Spartacus. So if you're going to do it once, that is the way to do it. Thank you, Shaman Glass, for your Star Trek communica- uh, contributions, not communications, contributions. Happy birthday. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Stephen Markell, who played Kova Thol in TNG's episode Allegiance. Uh, you remember Coven, uh, Kova was the uh, blue Mazarian uh, from that episode, uh, who enjoyed private meditation, was considered one of the brightest in his race. And Stephen Markell also made several television appearances throughout his career. So happy birthday to Stephen. We're also saying happy birthday to Charles McCulley, who was the voice of Landru in TOS's episode, The Return of the Archons, and also played Prefect Jarvis in TOS's uh, A Wolf in the Fold, two very excellent uh, episodes. 
you know, he has such a presence and such a sort of aristocratic bearing uh, that his voice, and, and his voice is amazing. So he was often cast throughout his career as judges, doctors, attorneys, and other figures of authority. And then uh, if Paul was here, I'd uh, give him a little chance to say more about this. But uh, Charles McCulley is probably best known for his role as Count Dracula in the black exploitation horror film Blackula from 1972. So Charles McCulley would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday to Michael Dugan, uh, who lived to the ripe old age of 90 years old. I love it. Michael Dugan, of course, played Kalar, uh, played the Kalar warrior in uh, Star Trek's uh, pilot episode, The Cage, the Kalar were those sort of like weird looking um, alien barbarian dudes, I guess I would say. (laughs) And Michael Dugan had myriad uncredited acting and stunt roles throughout the 50s and 60s. Uh, In fact, 64 acting credits and nine stunt credits. So Michael Dugan would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Richard Hurd. Uh, a titan among actors as far as I'm concerned. Uh, from a Star Trek standpoint, he is often associated with his role as Admiral Owen Paris from Voyager, uh, from the episodes Pathfinder, Inside Man, Author, Author, and Endgame. That, of course, is Tom Paris's dad. He was also in TNG as the Klingon LaCour in uh, episodes Birthrights 1 and 2. Uh, but, man, he was all over the place. Jim I know you love this one. Uh, in the 80s, our favorite secret aliens in disguise underneath uh, human skin shells. How do we know Richard heard from, from V back in the day? Oh, my God. I had nightmares for weeks after that. <laughs> when they pulled his face off and he was all scaly with his red eye underneath there. Oh, my God. Did that yeah. creep me out? <laughs> And that was... Richard Hurd. Yeah, Richard, Richard Hurd was the supreme commander of all the visitors. Uh, his name, of course, was John because they wanted him to be relatable to human beings, right? So, Before but, they eat but you. But that's not it, man. <laughs> yeah, but that's not it. I mean, Richard Hurd, you go, he did a bunch of work with William Shatner uh, in the 80s with T.J. Hooker. Um, he was Admiral Noyce on Sequest DSV, which was also a very excellent science fiction uh, series. He had a recurring role as Mr. Wilhelm in Seinfeld. And the thing that people don't know about Richard Hurd that I think is really cool is that he was actually the member of an Enterprise Blues Band. That's right, a musical group that writes and performs songs about Star Trek. So this man has Star Trek running through his veins, Richard Hurd, Tom Paris's dad, Anna Klingon, and so many other cool science fiction things would have had a birthday this week. Uh, he's one of those guys I kind of wish I could have met uh, because it seems like there would have been a lot to talk to him about. So happy birthday, Richard Hurd. Uh, three more remembrances. We're saying happy birthday this week to Roger C. Carmel. Uh, if you do not know who he is, then you need to go back and watch some more TOS because he was the original Harry Mudd. That's right, Harcourt Set in Mud from TOS's episodes I, Mud and Mud's Women. Uh, and also he voiced his character in TAS's Mud's passion. Um, so just really cool to have him in so many versions of uh, Star Trek. Did you know that he um, he's one of the only characters, let me see, uh, with the exception of those actors who played the, the main crew members, right? Like, you know, Spock, Chekhov, uh, all of those guys. So if you take those guys out of it, 
uh, Roger C. Carmel and Mark Leonard are the only two characters who actually play themselves in more than one episode of TOS. Not themselves, but who play characters in more than one episode of TOS. So I think that's really cool that he's one of the only repeat guest stars. Um, so uh, good for him. In lots and lots of television from that time, I also have a special place in my heart because he was on the 1960s television series Batman that I used to watch at 3.30 every single day. He played Colonel Gum, a stamp-obsessed identity-swapping villain. Do you remember this guy? He was like an evil stamp collector. <laughs> anyway, played, played by Roger C. Carmel. What a great television show and what a great actor. Happy birthday to him. We're also saying happy birthday to William Wyndham, who played Commodore Matt Decker in the original TOS uh, Doomsday Machine. Uh, he was in a ton of stuff back in the day. Actually won an Emmy in 1970 for his uh, role on the television show My World, and welcome to it. And uh, our final fan shout-out, or excuse me, not fan shout-out, birthday remembrance goes out this week to Arthur Bernard, who played the character Appella in TOS's episode A Private Little War. I love that episode of TOS. If you haven't watched it, go back. If it's been a few years, go back and watch it again. It is always uh, feels like it's spot on to whatever's going on in the world these days. And Arthur Bernard, oh, got you. Uh, you know, he was an actor, but also he wrote, produced, and directed various radio and television and stage productions uh, throughout his career in the 50s and 60s. So uh, unfortunately, he would die in 2001 after he finally made it into a feature-length film called The Animal. That is his one and only film credit. So uh, Arthur Bernard would have had a birthday this week. That is our remembrances. Wow. Charles, take it away with the folks who are still with us that have birthday this week. Okay. And my apologies. It's been a long, busy week, and I did not get to get, uh, get details about actors and actresses this week. I did a little bit last night. Didn't find a whole lot about most of the people. So but I will go through. Kieran... Maroney played Benzen in TNG's The Outrageous Okana and Sean in Enterprise's Fortune Son. Lily Marie played is, was the USS Saratoga Ops Officer in DS9's Emissary. And yeah. I gave and that IMDb one to IMDB says she's from Las Vegas. I have not run or heard any details about her, so she must not really be hanging around much of the Star Trek groups. Sarah Rainey played Eleni in Boys Innocence. Dan Dennis Danger Malone, Stuntman Extraordinaire. We've yeah, had him on the Jim podcast. That one in there. He's been on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, he And he's got a lot of great stories. He was and the guy that just gets around in Star Trek, the motion picture. He's the guy in the loading dock when the Enterprise pulls out. I know you guys know the scene I'm talking about. He's the guy in the spacesuit that jumps up and does a, a flip as the Enterprise yep. flies out. He That's talked cool. about that on the podcast. One of his many roles. He also taught the Klingons how to use their bat lifts. 
which is another cool thing. And he's so, not, not he's only a stunt man, but he was a stunter also. Yep, and did a lot to protect protect the stunt men who were on the show. And stunt women. And stunt women, stunt people. Yep, stunt people. Carolyn Legerfeld played McFarren, DS9's Tribunal. Robin Gamel played Pombassador Murakon in DS9's Attached. And Scott Davini played Bob Briggs in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. I believe that was the actor that we hated because he sent the whales off early in trying to get past the reporters. And the poor Mm -hmm. Enterprise had to convince the doctor to be able to find them and recover them. And Jillian slapped him in the face and said that her, her, uh, (laughs) she she didn't judge someone by their intelligence. Or her compassion isn't judged by my intelligence level. Yeah. So, Eric, want to do some few living people? Yeah, sure. Why not? I'm, I'm happy to have a shot at some of these. So, uh, I've got a happy birthday and, and, uh, big celebrations going out to Beth Trussaint, uh, who of course played, of course played Aishara Yar, uh, Tasha's sister in TNG's episode Legacy. I have to tell you guys, huge crush on her. Um, there's something about that hairdo, that whole look that she's got going on. The fact that I had remembered her from shows like MacGyver and uh, Matlock and Babylon Five and all sorts of things. Um, I loved her in this episode so much. So. Kind of a big crush on Beth Trussaint. Uh So, will you come on the podcast, please? Yes. <laughs> Did she not uh, look like Sarah Connor from The Terminator? Oh, that's what I'm saying. That whole like long hair, like '80s, like short, uh, you know, sleeves, like built woman look. I love that look. I love her look in that episode so much. So, Aishara Yar, yeah. uh, I'm in love with you, Beth. Please come on the podcast. <laughs> Happy birthday also to Rosalind Allen, who played Yanar on TNG's The Outrageous O'Connor, our second birthday from that uh, episode this week. Also, happy birthday to Rosalind. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. She, also, she also was in Star Trek, or Sequest DSV. She was the uh, telepathic yes. doctor on Sequest DSV. Yeah, uh, I, I man, there was something about that show that was so cool, um, and I just loved her on that. Um, Wendy Smith, I believe, was the doctor's name, if I remember right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. she was so cool. Um, set in the year 2032, so we're almost there, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, happy birthday also to another Rosalind, Rosalind Chow, uh, who played Keiko O'Brien in TNG uh, and DS9. Uh, many, many episodes, and, and some people get kind of down on Keiko, but I, I dig Keiko. I loved her and Miles' relationship, and I love that you get to see kind of just regular folk on DS9. So, Rosalind Chow, thank you for your Star Trek contributions as well. Happy birthday as well to Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa, who played the court bailiff in TNG's episode Encounter at Farpoint. He's the guy who rings the bell, if you remember uh, him ringing the bell, of course. 
And also happy birthday to Oyin Oladejo, who, of, play, of course, plays Joanne Awushikun on Star Trek Discovery, also known as Owu uh, by Pike and the gang. So, Jim, uh, why don't you finish out our birthdays? Yeah, we're going to wrap up our birthdays. We've got a few here. We want to say happy birthday to Carolyn Kava, who played in TNG's episode Ethics as Dr. Toby Russell, that's the one where Worf breaks his back and he's never going to walk. And she has this experimental uh, replacement. Really great episode. And it makes you wonder who was right, Beverly or Dr. Russell. That's for you to decide. Go go and check it out. We also want to say happy birthday to Mimi Craven, who played Jisa in Voice Dragon's Teeth. She was also married to... Um, uh, uh, Wes Craven, who's best known for the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Oh, so happy birthday. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yep. Um, we also want to say happy birthday to Shay Astar, who played Isabella in TNG's Imaginary Friend. And this episode. is one that I I just put in. I was going to stick it on uh, on uh, Charles's list, but um, I didn't want to... I know Charles likes to look stuff up, so I didn't want to pop it in there because I wasn't sure. So I put it on mine instead. Uh, Denise Akuda And uh, Charles, did you want to say anything about Denise Akuda? Okay. Oh, not so, really. Just just great work that she's done. Well, okay, so Denise Michael, right, who's, who the Okuda Graham is literally named after. I mean, I think Michael Okuda is probably one of the most famous names in TNG uh, lore. And Denise, of course, his wife, was able to participate, too. So she did all kinds of stuff, right? Didn't she do – she did, like, scene painting and, like, did a bunch of, like, graphic stuff and, like, consulted with him. I feel like she was kind of his right-hand person as he developed all that stuff for TNG. Yeah, she was a scenic artist on DS9 and Enterprise. She was a computer and video supervisor on Star Trek Voyager as well. And she's written several great Star Trek reference books with her husband. So happy birthday to Denise Okuda. Uh, I also want to say happy birthday to Jason Alexander, who played Kuros in Voice the Thing, and is going to be a brand-new reoccurring character named Dr. Gnome on Prodigy. We haven't seen him yet. But we're going to, and he's going to be a recurring character, basically a regular on uh, Prodigy when his character shows up. And I always do the Klingons last, and this is a big one. Speaking of the fifth anniversary of Star Trek Discovery, we want to say kapla, and we come in peace to Chris Obi, who played Takuma <laughs> in Discoveries of Vulcan Hello and the Battle of the Binary Stars. So happy uh, birthday. You dirty federation. Uh, you never mean what you say. <laughs> come in peace. <laughs> God. And uh, that wraps up our birthdays, guys. And now it's time for...
All right, we've got our very first convention that we're checking out. It is the Grit City Comic Show, October 22nd at the Greater Tacoma Convention Center in beautiful Tacoma, Washington. So go check that out. Uh, it's not too far away from me. Maybe I'll go check it out. We're also going to be tracking the Sinister Halloween Con, October 22nd at the Scottish Rite Masonic Center in beautiful Sacramento, California. And last on this list is Chattanooga's Comic-Con, the same weekend, October 22nd through the 23rd, at the Chattanooga Convention Center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. David, which conventions are you tracking? Well, it sounds like we're going to go down to Texas to the Cowtown Comic-Con 2022 from October 22nd to the 23rd over at the Will, Will Rogers Memorial Center at Fort Worth, Texas. Going a little bit more east is Old Bridge Comic Book Expo <clears throat> from actually just the first only day of October 23rd over at Old Bridge Elks, Old Bridge, New Jersey. Next on the list is over in Illinois, which is Anime Halloween, uh, October 28th to the 30th, at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, Chicago, in Rosemont, Illinois. Now, I just want to know, is everybody going to dress up and look like a cartoon, or? <laughs> well, you have to look like an anime character, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Charles, what's on your list? Well, why don't we just stick with the October 20th to 30th. Let's start off with Baltimore Comic-Con at the Baltimore Convention Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Or back over to Texas with the big Texas Comic-Con at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in San Antonio, Texas. Or Music City Multicon, the Farm Bureau Exposition Center in Lebanon, Tennessee. Lot to do in those in that weekend. That sounds interesting. Music City Multicon. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean that sounds like there's a lot going on right there. Uh, Multicon feels like you're going to have some comics, you're going to have some sci-fi, you're going to have some horror, you're going to have a whole bunch of things. Anime. Anime. Sounds interesting. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our convention calendar, and we're we're ever creeping ever so closely to talking about Star Trek Lower Decks Reflections. We're almost there, so just hang with us. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you want to give us a call and join in the conversation, you're welcome to do so. But right now, it's time for Star Trek News. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Okay, guys, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek news. All of the stories that we're about to talk about can be found in their entirety on our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. Um, I've just kind of broke them down to get the news out to you guys. Uh, They're the abridged version. 
All right, Eric, uh, you've got some sad news to start us off with. Yeah, Jim, this one hit me kind of hard this week, uh, mostly because uh, this actress plays literally my favorite villain in all of Star Trek, um, Louise Fletcher, Oscar winner for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, died this past week. That's right, Louise Fletcher, who won the Best Actress Oscar for her indelible performance as Nurse Ratchet in Milos Forman's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, died Friday in her home in France, according to a representative. She was 88 years old. In the American Film Institute TV special AFI's 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains, Fletcher's Nurse Ratchet was named the fifth greatest villain in film history and second greatest villainess behind only the Wicked Witch of the West. On TV, Fletcher had played family matriarch Peggy Grammer Gallagher, a cunning ex-con who nevertheless wanted a relationship with her granddaughter on Showtime's Shameless. The actress recurred on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as the scheming, duplicitous spiritual leader Kai Wen Adami from 1993 to 1999, on cult sci-fi VR5 from 1995 to 97, and on ER in 2005. Other film credits include Exorcist II, The Heretic, starring with Richard Burton and Linda Blair, Sci-Fire Brainstorm with Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood. Of course, the great film Firestarter, starring a young Drew Barrymore, and Two Days in the Valley. The young actress made her screen debut in 1958 with appearances on Playhouse 90, among other television shows. The next year, she guested on Maverick, 77 Sunset Strip, and The Untouchables. She appeared on Perry Mason twice in 1960, but by 1963, she had abandoned her career, at least for the time being, after making her feature debut in A Gathering of Eagles. Fletcher was married to Bick, a Hollywood literary agent who was also later a producer from 1959 to 1978. He died in, 19, uh, excuse me, in 2004, and she is currently survived by her sons, John Dashiell Bick and Andrew Wilson Bick. Um, man, guys, Louise Fletcher, Kai Wen, she to me is just one of the absolute best villains of all time. And I, I, I know that a lot of people will throw Khan in there. Um, they'll throw other, other possibilities. But the reason that I love her is that she never completely gets her redemption arc, right? All throughout DS9, Kai Wen believes all along that she's doing the right thing while simultaneously kind of being addicted to gaining power and always feeling like she needs to be in a power position. And um, I just love her because every single time you see her on screen, you absolutely hit her guts. She's like the Dolores Umbridge of Star Trek, right? (laughs) She always does whatever she does with a smile. And I just love that about her. I love that she's so evil and so nice and absolutely drives Kira crazy throughout the entire run of DS9. So, um, Louise Fletcher, man, I would have loved to have met you. I'm so sorry that you died before I got a chance, but um, we did lose her this week, you guys. Would you like to say anything about Louise Fletcher? Yeah, uh, I was about to say that um, she seems like the only type of uh, villain that I know of in Star Trek that actually had a character arc 
she started off as like, you know, just yeah. becoming the Kai Wen. And you don't really get to know her until later when she starts to like slowly grow. And it's like all of a sudden, like you said, she wanted the position of power and everything. And then all of a sudden it just became a villain. I mean, she, from, from my perspective, she didn't really become a villain until like, of course, way at the end. But yeah, it's interesting to think that she's like the only villain that had a character arc that I can think of. Villainess. All right, there yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she, yep, bad. She's a bad lady. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, uh, who's next on our list? I think David's got our next story, right? All right. So, it looks like we have a story about Gate McFadden. Star Trek Picard. Gate McFadden worked on David Bowie's Labyrinth. Who knew? Uh, okay, so before Gates McFadden, who in the role of Dr. Beverly Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation taught Data to dance, choreographer Cheryl McFadden, Gates' first name, taught Mr. Let's Dance himself, David Bowie, how to waltz on the set, uh, uh, how to waltz on the set labyrinth. <laughs> Originally, McFadden was cast to play the role of Sarah's mother and agreed to do the choreography in addition. (coughs) However, due to the British labor laws, she was not permitted to appear on screen, even though she had been told for two years that she would fulfill both roles and instead only perform the choreographer's role. At the Jim Henson Company, uh, she was also the director of choreography and puppet movement for 1984's The Muppet Take Manhattan, in which she also appeared on screen in the role of Nancy, secretary to Martin Prince. Not exactly sure who that is. Anyways, um... McFadden continues to be involved in the Trek community as well. In 2021, she narrated and executive produced the center sheet 55 Years of Star Trek, a documentary series for the History Channel. She also hosts a podcast featuring many guests who will be familiar with Trekkies. <clears throat> Gates McFadden investigates. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> What's cool about that, is, and I, is, people have to remember, Star Trek has been around for a long time. And a lot of people, younger people in particular, um, aren't aware that Gates McFadden was a choreographer and worked with David Bowie before she was on Star Trek. And I just thought that was a, a cool little twist. And I just thought there's a lot yeah. of people out there who not know that. And so even though well, I know that i figured there might be people who did not know that so i i wanted to i actually threw that story in there for paul because i thought paul would would uh get a kick out of that story but that's why well and and i will say jim that i think paul would have gotten a kick out of it particularly because i know that his son loves the muppets and i remember seeing her in the muppets take manhattan 
um, and not knowing who she was, right? Because Star Trek wouldn't come until later, and we didn't. There really wasn't a way. And then later, I would watch Muppets Take Manhattan again after I had seen Star Trek and be like, "Oh my God, it's Doctor Crusher. <laughs> She's in the movie." Huh. So yeah, cool. and she danced with David Bowie. I mean, who can say she that? Did. You know, who can well, say she that? Taught him how to dance. Even I mean, that's even better. Yeah, she, and I'll tell you better. that whenever she's on panels, uh, and Charles can attest to this, I'm sure she often will talk about her dancing and choreography experience and about um, how it relates to the di- different projects that she's been on, including Star Trek. Absolutely. Yep. Speaking of Charles, you're up next, Charles. Yeah, I think I see a theme in the news this week for me. The new Star Trek series is officially a Deep Space Nine sequel, whereas what I've heard calling it season eight. IDW Publishing reveals their ongoing Star Trek comic series will will be headed by co Rock. Co-writer Colin Kelly and Jackson Lazy. The series will feature a collection of fan favorite characters like Captain Benjamin Singh, Cisco, and a brand new one's embarking on adventures, such as Jackson Lazing has announced that IDW's new Star Trek series will be a direct sequel to the acclaimed Star Trek Deep Space Nine television show. At the end of Deep Space Nine, Captain Sisko was last seen embracing his role as the emissary to the godlike wormhole aliens known as the Prophets. Sisko plunged into Inferno while grappling with long-term nemesis Galdicott, only to be lifted in the Prophet's celestial temple, a.k.a. the Bajoran wormhole, via their divine intervention. The exact nature of Sisko's fate was looked open-ended, but now in a comic, Benjamin Sisko's return from the Bajoran wormhole with a task in the prophet. Something in Star Trek universe is hunting down and killing the galaxy's godlike being, and the prophets have put their faith in Sisko to stop them. Star Trek number one aims to boldly go where Star Trek hasn't gone before, while bringing plenty of old memories along for the voyage. What comes next for Captain Fisco in the Alpha Quadrant is currently an unwritten chapter in Star Trek history. The voyages of USS CS will begin this October 26, 2022. It will pick, pick right up where DS9 left off 20 years ago. Star Trek number one will be released by IDW Publishing, as said, on October 26th. Wow. I love that. That is so cool. I mean, you guys know who Colin is, right? He is a guy who was involved in, I think, what I would consider the show's favorite comic book series over the last few years. He was involved in year five. He was involved in all that great, like, Gary Seven uh, time, or not timeline, but, like, uh, those issues that had Gary Seven. Basically all that later stuff in year five. Um, Colin mm. Kelly was involved in that, and and he was so good in that, right? Like that comic book series is so good, and he has all kinds of other credits to his name too. He's worked on DC stuff, he's worked on uh, Marvel stuff, he's worked on uh, now IDW stuff. So a very talented writer. Very excited about this. Yeah, a lot to talk about on comics. Mm-hmm. And and guys, 
as we said, it's the fifth anniversary of Star Trek Discovery. This next article was was originally published on September 26, 2017. The Vulcan Hello greets nearly 10 million viewers. When speaking of the success of Star Trek Discovery has already had in driving CBS All Access subscriptions, we describe that as one of several metrics by which the success of the new series could be gauged. Now, with the release of the initial ratings for the show's broadcast premiere, we have another of those criteria available to us, and it's likewise looking very good. According to the initial figures, Sunday's broadcast premiere of Star Trek Discovery garnered a 9.6 million viewers and a 1.9 rating among adults aged 19 to 49. CBS anticipates that these numbers will jump to 15 million viewers and a 3.0 rating once the so-called Live Plus 7 ratings are available. The Live Plus 7 ratings represent the final determination of a show's audience and allows for the inclusion of time-shifted viewing through such methods as DVR recording. Discovery is already being credited with a record number of new all-access subscriptions. While that may not be the whole story, it's hard to see it as anything other than a good start, given CBS' stated goal of boosting subscriptions from 1 million to 4 million by 2020. And if I remember correctly, I think they blew that 4 million million subscription rate right out the window. I think they went, if I remember correctly, it was closer to 12 million. If I remember, we talked about it. Yeah, they yeah. did. And at this point, um, CBS All Access is up to 19.2 million subscribers. So they are cranking. They're, and, and they're now Paramount Plus. So that's awesome. All right, Charles. And uh, you've got another story. And I, I think this one's kind of familiar, too, isn't it? As I said, I think there's a theme in my articles tonight. Star Trek Strange New Worlds comes to comics in new miniseries. Strange New Worlds is making its comic debut this winter in a series from IDW Publishing that bridges the gap between Season 1 and Season 2. Since it debuted earlier this year, Strange New Worlds has become a flagship show of Paramount Plus streaming series. Debuting to critics and fan acclaim. Now, Strange New Worlds is receiving a new miniseries from IEW. At the conclusion of the first season show, First Officer Una Chen Riley, also referred to as Number One, is arrested by Federation officials on the charges of illegal genetic modifications. While fans curious about Una's fate must wait until the second season premiere, a new comic from IEW fills in the gaps as Captain Pike struggles to prove her innocence. The Strange New World miniseries titled The Illyrian Enigma will be written by Kristen Beyer and Mike Johnson, both of whom have done extensive work in both Star Trek comics and television. It will be illustrated by Megan Levin. The Illyrian Enigma written writing team has also worked on the show itself. Ensuring the same quality of a tall mark of Strange New Worlds will be present in the comments as well. It will also help keep continuity between the shows and the comics type. The first issue goes on imprint and digital December 21st. 
Wow, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Wow. Jim is going to get his man crush on in comic book form. Exactly. In comic books, <laughs> yo. <laughs> yo, the comic crush. <laughs> You're going to, like, photocopy the, the full spread page that they have of Pike's face with his amazing hair, and you're going to put it up on your wall at work. I, I, hope, I hope they draw him. I hope they draw him right. <laughs> they better draw him but right. You know they better draw him with some amazing Paramount hair. These, uh, these are the same guys that did The Light of Chaos, which I think was, was an outstanding comic. So I'm looking yeah, for the I same mean, that we saw in that. Yeah, Kirsten... Kirsten Beyer and and um, and Mike Johnson are the team that you want writing your Star Trek comic books. So I have no question that this is going to be good stuff. So no, here's a question regarding the comic book: Is the comic book the only way that you're going to know what happened to Una, or are they going to actually show it in season yeah. two as well? So is there going to be a conflict no, no. between the two, or no? There has been a precedent, and I'm going to answer this, David, with some amount of confidence, even though I don't actually know uh, because we don't actually have inside connections, but they're probably going to do the same thing that they did with Picard, which is that they provided information between seasons that was never actually acknowledged in the show, but is completely consistent with the story. So I think that you could consider this comic to be one of those canon adjacent ones, right? You've got the, you got Kristen Byer and Mike Johnson who have actually written the show who are carrying the torch right now, they're providing this information, and I have no doubt that there will be zero inconsistencies between this comic and what we actually see at the beginning of Season 2, but I don't think they'll acknowledge it in Season 3. That'd be my guess. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And, and Eric, you've got another story. Uh, you're next on our hit list. Yeah, this one's another. I got two sad stories this week. Um, this one is that Star Trek Four. That's right. Our new uh, Chris Pine Star Trek has been officially now removed from Paramount Pictures' uh, release calendar. Paramount Pictures has now removed the Star Trek film set for release on December 22nd of next year. That's right. The news first came from the trades, with Variety noting the move was, quote, inevitable following the news from last month of director Matt Shockman's exiting the project. This Star Trek project was already delayed once before, the Paramount, before Paramount previously set a June 2023 release date. The film appeared to have momentum in February of this year when producer J.J. Abrams announced plans to move forward with another film in the Kelvin Universe era with hopes for production to begin this fall. And while Chris Pine and other stars have all expressed their interest in doing a fourth film, they also expressed skepticism it could move ahead that quickly. Earlier this month, Pine was still talking about how he would like to see a script. So it feels kind of like we got all excited about nothing here, guys. Um, uh, it's off the calendar. Yeah. So we just have we just have to keep our fingers crossed and hope that maybe this comes back over the next couple of years um, because they're, it would be fun just, to see a fourth Kevin movie. Yeah, they're just they're just stalling. They're going to come out with it this coming Christmas. To uh, find no. out. Yeah, they, <laughs> they did it I don't know about that, but <laughs> maybe. You're a very optimistic person, David. I like that. <laughs> well, you've you got to figure it takes them a year to film it and then a year in post-production. And if they wanted to get it out by 2023, the filming should have already been completed. And yeah. they didn't even have a 
So yeah, we yeah. sort of we sort of knew this was coming, but uh, it's still disappointing yeah. to hear. Yeah, it is it, because Star Trek. I think well, when you got when you got well, the actors who sit there and say, "I haven't seen a script or anything," it's like you know something's not working. Well, we get enticed by articles that say, uh, you know, oh, Chris Pine would love to play uh, Captain Kirk for the rest of his career. Da 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 da. Well, yeah, he would love to, but uh, we need the writers to put the money where the mouth is here. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, David, I mean, I try to tailor the stories to the person, and I, I, I hopefully, hopefully, our next story <laughs> is right up your alley. All right, cool. So it looks like we have a Star Trek Prodigy Supernova game warping out of the Delta Quadrant this October. The new game arrived October 14th for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and through Steam and Stadia for PC gamers. I know this is true because I looked it up on Steam, and uh, it is actually coming out on October 14th. So, and Future is a full television voice cast who reprise their roles as their animated characters in the interactive, interactive adventure, allowing up to two players to lead the protostar crew during gameplay. As Dow and Gwen, of course, the trailer features a variety of puzzles and combat challenges using elements from Star Trek Prodigy series, including Starfleet phasers and uh, Gwen's morphing metal weapon. Did they ever come up with a name for that? I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if they did either. Okay. So the game synopsis. After the USS Protostar picks up strange readings from the dying star, Dal and Gwen must race against time to save their friends. Their ship and their entire planetary system before oh, they must save their friends and ship <laughs> and an entire planetary system before the supernova destroys them all. Using their unique skills to overcome ingenious puzzles, endure hostile environments, and battle deadly robot armies, Dow and Gwen must save their captured crewmates, Jane Com, Pog, Ra- Rock Talk. I hope I'm saying all these names correctly. Uh, Zero and Murph. But they soon encounter a deadly new enemy. One that will stop at nothing to destroy the USS Protostar and change the very course of history. Star Trek Prodigy Supernova is coming in a max <coughs> coming in at maximum warp speed this October on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Xbox S. Steam and Stadia price tag at thirty nine ninety nine. Wow. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna have that's to that I'm gonna get <laughs> like that for games. sure. Yeah. I like stuff like that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys, and I've got a. See, I, I um, I've got the final story of the evening, and that's because it's a, it's a great segue for our Star Trek. Lower Decks conversation. Star Trek hints TNG era knows about Abrams' Kelvin timeline. Dun, dun, dun. A hilarious shout-out to J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies by Ensign Tavana Tendi and uh, Sam Rutherford on Star Trek Lower Decks could secretly mean Starfleet in the 24th century 
is aware of the Kelvin timeline. In Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 5, Reflections, Rutherford's implement malfunctions, allowing his previous personality to become dominant. And it drops more hints about the insidious reasons Sam received an implant in the first place. But there is further possibility that Rutherford's implant contains secrets about the Kelvin timeline that he doesn't fully understand. <clears throat> when Rutherford confesses to Tendi that he's been losing sleep because of a nightmare, she asks, is it the one where you're in a new timeline with Kirk and Spock and they have cinematic chemistry? On the surface, this could just be a read as a knowing wink to the animated Star Trek comedy and Lower Decks has jokingly referenced Abram Star Trek in the past, such as in Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 9, Crisis Point. But what if there's even more behind Tendi's quip? After all, Rutherford is routinely bombarded with information from his implant that he chalks up to malfunction. Yet what if Rutherford just doesn't realize that his implant's details about an alternate timeline Kirk and Spock are actually real. Star Trek Discovery Season 3 reverted that to the 32nd Century United Federation of Planets has long been aware of the Kelvin timeline. Temporal wars were waged centuries before that threatened the multiverse and even the Guardian of Forever. Uh, Paul Geitel hid in the Beta Quadrant rather than be used as a weapon in the Temporal Wars. Dr. Kovic revealed to Dr. Hugh Colbert that a time soldier named Lieutenant Commander Yor the 24th century of the Kelvin timeline crossed over into the prime timeline. Star Trek Lower Decks joke about an alternate reality Kirk and Spock may indeed have deeper layers and possibly even ramifications further on down the line. That could be a great way for them to bring the Kelvin timeline in a full circle and tie it right back into the original timeline if they wanted to. You know, and- I'm, of course, freaking out about this because uh, I love stories that are all about the connection between the Kelvin timeline and the Prime timeline. And, of course, in Discovery, they mention here that we get the 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 little connection there. So, oh, man, when they did it in uh, Lower Decks tonight, I was just like, what? Are you kidding me? I'm so excited. Well, they, they did it on uh, when when uh, Kirk when Kirk sits down to talk with Pike and he says, "So your father was a commander of the uh, of the USS Kelvin," and then they kind of cut the scene at that point. So they, they kinda... yeah, that's right. The only movies that we have that information from are the Kelvin timeline movies. Supposedly, it did. I mean, remember though that when that happens in those Kelvin timeline movies, it is in the Prime Universe. So. The fact that he is the captain of the Kelvin is actually a prime timeline source and not a Kelvin universe source, so to speak. Well, the captain of the, the he technically wasn't the captain because uh, what's his face? No, that's uh, true. Captain no, the, uh, no, no, you're right. First officer. Sorry, you're right. Right, first officer. All right, guys, we're about to talk about uh, Reflection season three, episode five of Star Trek Lower Decks. Mariner and Boimler work the Starfleet recruitment booth at an alien job fair while Rutherford challenges himself. And just to get you guys prepared, here's a little sound bite.
Captain's Log, Stardate 58354.2. The Cerritos is back at Tolgana 4, where we'll be updating the Federation Consulate's power systems. A straightforward job, which gives us extra time to fill some of our Starfleet quotas. Uh, the recruitment booth, no! Well, someone's got to do it. Uh, do they? Because last time I checked, nobody's ever signed up for Starfleet at the recruitment booth. I did! Sh sh you're not helping! Sorry! I know it's not super exciting, but it's our assignment. What are you going to do? Mmm, complain the whole time and make it twice as miserable? Ah, <sighs> that is your specialty. <laughs> All right, so every week I ask you guys on our Facebook page on a scale of 1 to 10 to score this week's episode. We tally up the scores and we give them to you guys. So, Eric, what did our Facebook fans say about Reflections? Well, top fan Lincoln William Statler gave it a warp 9.9. That's pretty good. Uh, James Young said 8. Glad to finally start to see some backstory. Stephen Whalen said a 10. Top fan Brian King gave it a full 10 for me. Definitely the best episode of the season so far. Top fan Richard Chang gave it a nine. Loved getting some of Rutherford's backstory and bold Boimler unleashed at the career fair. Smiley face. <laughs> I agree, Richard. Uh, Laura Robles gave it a 10. Double heart on that one. Alexandra L. Harris, also a 10 with an exclamation point. Travis Taylor clocked in at a seven, while John Forbes gave it a nine. And Robert B. Molinoff gave it an 8. Great episode, but not legendary or with a teachable, rememberable notion to go back to and discuss in five years. Oh, that is super insightful, Robert. Uh, I'm going to talk about that later. That gives us, Jim, a fan score overall for this episode of 9.1, which is pretty darn good. That puts it third uh, of the five episodes that we have seen so far, but only just the skosh behind episode one, which fans gave a 9.3, and episode three, which fans gave a 9.2. So it's right there. And every week, guys, we do cadet training, which is where we tell you guys what episodes you can go back and watch to learn a little bit about this week's episode. So for that, we turn to channel. Take it away, Charles. All right. Let's start off with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. TNG, The Most Hot, Most Toy, Season 3, Episode 22. We learn about Taylor Toff's Species Collector. Voyager, Season 5, Episode 3, Extreme Risk. Season 6, Episode Wait. Episode 8, One Sauce Step. And a couple of those in there. We're going to learn about the Delta Flyer. TNG's Captain's Holiday, Season 3, Episode 19. Cupid, Season 4, Episode 22. DS9's Q-Less. And there are season, which is Season 1, Episode 7. All episodes that we learned about Bash. Yes. And I wanted to mention 
something to you guys. I was watching that episode and I saw an alien on the episode and I'm like, that alien looks so familiar. Where have I seen that alien? I couldn't place it. I couldn't place it. I couldn't place it. And then I placed it. The guy with the melty face that we see is actually an Octorian. And the only place he appears is on the album cover of Star Trek, the motion picture. When you pull out the album, if you guys ever Mm. remember the LP on the inside of the LP on the sleeve, there are 12 aliens pictured from the motion picture the Octorian with the melted face is one of them. I knew I saw it somewhere, and I, it took me a while to find it, but that melty-faced alien is actually on the inside album sleeve of Star Trek The Motion Picture and is an Octorian. Right. So, and right, just and I think I'll get, I get you guys one more. What movie title was mentioned in this episode? I think it's something that we want to discover that may be undiscovered. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's, go to, so, let's go visit some undiscovered country I loved it I loved it alright guys so this is the part of the show where we talk about Star Trek Lordex Reflections our phone number here is 646-668-2433 alright so uh, the first clip that I want to play for you guys is the clip that I talked about in my little story called The Kelvin <sighs> Are you okay, Rutherford? Damn, you look white. Uh, I haven't slept in a week. I keep having the same crazy nightmare. Ooh, the one where you're in a new timeline with Kirk and Spock where they have cinematic chemistry? Ugh, I wish. Looks like you've got some long-term memory stuck in the buffer. Probably useless stuff like when you called the captain mom. Want me to purge the cash? Yes, anything to help me sleep. <sighs> and done. Why don't you go take a nap? You'll wake up feeling like a new man. Ugh, thanks, Tendy. Hope you're right. So that, that sets up the entire episode as far as Rutherford's part of the story goes. And that's the, that was the story I talked about where they, they mentioned the Kelvin universe yet again. And we see Rutherford on a table, and there's shadowy figures working on him. And I can't help but wonder if, if maybe those figures are in the Kelvin universe. And that's where the headpiece actually uh, originated from who knows but it, it's fun to postulate these things and 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 fan theory them what do you what do you think what do you guys think what do you think eric uh, i thought that was a really cool like insight into what was going on with rutherford and we have been waiting for a very long time because they they've been teasing us for well since season two about what uh was going to like what was the cause of Rutherford having this implant. So I love that we got just a little bit more information about that in this episode. And it, it was one of many, many, many amazing Easter eggs in this episode. Yeah. And you know what, when I go to do the sound bites, it's so hard for me to pick just three because there's so many, you know, that it, it's tough. Um, but I, well, I, I, yeah. manage. I, I manage. <laughs> You, you manage, and I, I know uh, maybe after we go through our sound bites for the evening, we'll go back through some of these other Easter eggs that uh, that we're not going to get a chance to cover tonight because there were so many in this episode. It was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, that, that, it was great. It was great. All right, guys. So the next one that I want to play for you guys is basically just entitled, I was going to call it Bold Boimler, but that was already used, so I called this Mad Boimler. <laughs> 
sorry. I, I can't. This guy actually thinks the uniforms are cool. They are cool. Oh, then why are they always changing? Starfleet updates them. There's always room for improvement. Like, like we get this really cool flap. Oh, please. Why do you even need uniforms? You are not in the military. I'd say they are. Oh, shut up. Us outpost scientists wear whatever we want. Like this belt. <laughs> can you wear a belt? Ha, <laughs> they can wear <laughs> jewelry. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I oh just my God. <laughs> so the references <laughs> so that were thrown in there, uh, <laughs> Boimler freaking out. And what you can't see on the clip is he had a little model of a stargazer, a Picard yeah. stargazer from, from TNG, not, not the Picard one, on the table. And every time someone walked by, they, they'd bump into it and knock off one of the warp nacelles. And he kept putting it back together and putting it back together. And by the, by the time that scene comes around, when the scientists walk up, they knock into the table, and all four warp engines fall off the, the ship. And then she flicks <laughs> off his pit, and that touches him off. I loved it, loved it, loved it, because that's the type of thing you'd expect from Mariner, but not from Boimler. I loved it. Nope. Charles, what did you think about that scene? Well, just just him all over the place, stomping, the insult, just getting mad at the it was nice like to see him just get some energy out. In fact, I love and, how this resolved. And what he because like okay, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, because true, the stuff he's saying is true. It's it's like it's funny because it's true. <laughs> it is. You know, and just the thing is that gee, maybe you don't really need to have Starfleet along with all of these rogue groups. Yeah. Eric, any thoughts on this clip? Yeah, I mean, following up on what Charles just said, uh, this clip points out that Starfleet is not your only path to having space adventures, right? (laughs) And I think that our um, Petra, uh, I'll call her Indiana Petra, because to me she seems like (laughs) an Indiana Jones-type character, Um, She's the one who's kind of the foil for what's going on with uh, Boimler in this scene. And I love that Boimler finally just freaks out. My, my, I must admit that my favorite line from this whole tirade that he goes on, or not that he goes on, but that one of the other people says, the scientist people, they're like, uh, they're like, oh, yeah, you get a uniform and this and that. And the guy, he says, can you wear a belt? And that to me is so hilarious, right? Because the TNG style uniforms don't have a belt. 
and that is the same style of uniform that the people on the Cerritos are wearing right now. And so it's almost like they've been denied the ability to wear a belt, which of course was featured in the motion picture, right? <laughs> we get, we get <laughs> Star Trek belts in the motion picture. So <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. And then, of course, we get the, the other great reference from uh, the great DS9 episode, Move Along Home, where Boimler is like, stop trapping people inside of games. And you'll remember um, that's that yeah. episode where the, the, the Wadi dude is so addicted to games that he ends up trapping, trapping people inside the game. Um, and I just, I just thought that was so funny. Um, and there are so many other visual references that you can't see from the audio clip. You know, they show the 3D chessboard in that scene. They show the Qataran game devices from the game, which is that one where Wesley has to put on the, the headset and try and get, what is it? It's like little cones or something into something. I don't little know. It's, it's just, yeah, it's like a yeah. silly little game. Um, and then, of course, um, they reference uh, the least dangerous game with the Batlets and stuff. So um, super fun <laughs> scene, and I love that Boimler finally gets a chance, like Charles just said, to just let go, right, man? Let his, all his defenses down. He's a human being. He's us in Starfleet. Every once in a while, we're going to break, and we're going to go on a tirade that we're going to regret later. And that was Boimler in this episode. <laughs> Yep, it was great. What did you think about that one, David? Anything in that clip you want to mention? Yeah, uh, the name of the archaeological lady. Um, anybody get the name of why she probably called that? And it's probably obvious, obvious because of the Indiana Jones Last Crusade, where they went to go explore that Petra. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so I thought that was a little interesting uh, uh thing there so um yeah i like that and whole she, scene it was a uh, it was uh very i had to rewatch it a couple of times because of the way they were speaking so fast and the subtitles like zipping by i was like uh <laughs> but other than that uh yeah it was really fun i enjoyed it well and i got this episode I, i'm just going to mention that one of the things that was on the table so you get the collector's table right we're gonna we, we didn't really get into the collectors at all but one of the things that they have on that table, if you really start digging into the references here, is that they have the D'Arce pedestal from the episode Masks, which, of course, was referenced in last week's episode of um, Lower Decks with the whole, like, Captain Freeman freaking out while she was wearing the mask, right? So I, I feel like they're – it's like reference – it's like – Deep level references, man. You are not going to catch all of these yeah. unless you're a super deep Star Trek fan, which is, makes it so fun. And the conspiracy <laughs> theorists too. They were they were. Uh, oh my God, the truthers! Like we yep. we didn't even get to talk about the truthers here. I mean, they they were asking about like what was the truth about Cisco, right? Like what actually happens to him after the DS9 um, finale? And I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but there's that. At one point, they show kind of the the background behind the Truthers booth there at the career fair, and they actually show one of those, um, you know, the CSI, like a bunch of pictures with a bunch of strings connecting things together to, to show mm-hmm. how things are connected. And they show that picture, and it has shacks. It has a Mugatu. Um, it has an alien from uh, Momo's planet, which is the the people who worshipped Agamus uh, from last season. 
And it has a picture of Queen Paloma, who, of course, is Billup's mom. So I think this was our first clue to what happens to Shaq when he dies, and I think it involves Queen Paloma. That is my prediction. Oh, interesting. I thought it was funny when she was ta- when they were talking about the Starfleet officers get bugs that crawl up their butt, and Boimler's like, that never happened. Yeah. And Mariner was like, well, yeah. it actually, actually is. did. <laughs> The butt <laughs> that was, oh my uh, gosh! And of course, that's from Sub Rosa. That's like the, the oh. Sub Rosa reference, which is such a funny reference anyway. And we were talking about Beverly Crusher earlier today. <laughs> that's just hilarious. All right, guys, I've got one more clip to play for you guys, and then we're going to rate the episode and see how we came to what our Facebook fans had to say. <clears throat> and this clip is just called Starfleet Drone. Wow, it's crazy to hear you, like, actually trying. Yeah, I have to. Ransom's got it out for me. I'm not taking any chances with creepy-ass Starbase 80. Do you have to go to Starfleet Academy to work on a ship? Ah, thank you for asking. No, not at all. You can enlist as an NCO and then go to the Tech Services Academy on Mars. You could work in a transporter bay. How about that? Really? Do the transporter guys ever get to sit on the bridge? Um, I mean, I, yeah, I guess it, it, could, it could happen. Hey, pal. You're signing up for seven years in a windowless room. Wait, really? Don't listen to her. The ships have, like, tons of windows. It's, like, practically a greenhouse, right? Just not, like, every single room. Meh. <sighs> what the hell, lady? I was about to close. Aw, did I step on your little sales pitch? What are you even? Uh, some kind of space archaeologist? Independent space archaeologist. That first part's important since, you know, I'm free to do whatever I want. Unlike some ensigns around here. <laughs> All right, fine, whatever. Uh, Starfleet, get your Starfleet. Prepare yourself for Warp 10 excitement. Discover the undiscovered country. How often do you get to collect dilithium? Oh, all the time. Tons of crystals. Hey, buddy, you want to be a Borg? What? No! Starfleet crews get assimilated all the time. Hope you like being covered in black rubber tubing. Ah! Ah! We don't not. Borg drone, Starfleet drone. What's the diff? The diff is I'm about to shove one of those artifacts up your ass. <laughs> Don't. Just stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I love Mariner. I'm going to shove that artifact up your ass. <laughs> oh, man, what can I say? Loved it. I, you know, um, yeah. What did you guys think about the clip about Mariner working the booth? Pretty good. Uh, different. Yeah, definitely different. <laughs> so, well, I mean, she's thrown out reference <laughs> after reference while she's doing that, right? She's like, anybody who's watched any Star Trek, you know, she's like, discover the undiscovered country and all of the other things she says. So you're, you're just strange like, strange new world that needs discovered. Yeah, yeah, you're just, you're like pulled right in. So I... I love that um, because that, to me, she says something about uh, preparing for Warp 10 excitement, and so that would not mean anything to you unless you understood that Warp 10 is unachievable and you turn into a salamander if you go to Warp 10. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I just... It's, you know, it's Paul, I remember that Paul, one of the things that he said at the beginning of the series was like, is the series just references? And that's all there is to it. And I think that over the last few weeks, we've proved that there is more depth to this show than just the references. But man, as Star Trek geeks, we sure do have a lot of fun with those, don't we? Well, yeah. yeah. That, I, 
So let's talk about the episode. Um, this episode, I loved this episode. Not as much as the as the Batleth one. Let's get there. Okay. But um, I loved this episode. And to me, this episode felt really close to, to, to live action Star Trek. I didn't play any clips from, from the Rutherford thing because the Rutherford thing to me was like, the soul of this episode. Classic. Well, it's classic That's Star what... Trek. I mean, the whole idea of, like, uh, somebody talking to an evil version of himself. I mean, you've got the enemy within where um, where uh, uh, Kirk is split into his, like, good and evil selves, right? Like, to me, that just spoke right to episodes just like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was Star Trek to its core. The whole Rutherford backstory thing – we get to learn about a character, you know, we, we see the Romulan neutral zone. I mean, the Delta flyer, there was so much there that they packed in the Rutherford story. And then they, they throw in this hilarious stuff with Boimler and Mariner at the Starfleet um, booth. And it, and both of those things balanced each other off perfectly. Yeah. And it, it made well, for an okay. that really well. It, it, it felt it felt really good together, and I really enjoyed it, really. And to well, the point okay. where I think I would give this episode maybe 9.5 would be my score. I really liked it a lot. What about you, Charles? Okay, well, okay, one of my, ref, one of my Easter eggs I want to hit. I said in my cadet review, Rathacon. What was a famous line from Rathacon? Remember. Oh. <laughs> Remember. <laughs> I saw that and it's like, ah. So amazing. Ah, there's Rathacon right there. Yeah. There's yep. Spock and McCoy. Well, and, and I have to say, I'm always talking, Charles, about how one of my favorite episodes of TOS is Devil in the Dark. I just think that is yeah. one of those episodes that really teaches you to see things from somebody else's perspective. And um, it's kind of the first example that we get of our Starfleet crew trying to communicate with an alien that just doesn't speak in the same way that we do, right? Uh, it's this weird, like, mm-hmm. silicone-based thing that, like, digs through walls and stuff. And um, and we get a Devil in the Dark reference in this episode, too, because the, the little standee that is next to the booth that Mariner and Boimler are running is a, you can stick your face in it and you can become Kirk yeah. and Spock. And what's in the background? It's a Horda from the devil in the dark. So I didn't even notice probably that. My, that was probably my favorite reference from this whole episode. I saw the Horda and I was like, holy crap, that's one of my favorite episodes of TOS. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they huh. It was hard to do a good cadet review because there were so many references, so many things they hit in here that just snuck in that just for for an average person he's just going off and them going off. The Trekkie fans, he's hitting all these classic moments, and that's what makes Lower Deck so good. Is it's an homage to Star Trek? Absolutely. Hmm. So, what would you give it, Charles? A score to one to ten. Uh, 
let's do what I've been given a lot of the good episodes, a 9.0. Nine point, so we got a 9.0. I gave it a 9.5. How about you, Eric? Uh, you know, Jim, honestly, I can't disagree with your 9.5. Um, there are so many references here that I was like, it was like drinking from a fire hose of Star Trek awesomeness. And then also you get the background information on Rutherford. You get a great story involving Boimler and Mariner here. So I, I just really totally dug this episode. Um, not quite as good as the least dangerous game because that had the whole like D&D nerd factor involved. Um, but I'm still going to give this one a 9.5. It was very good. And David, you're good to bring up the caboose. What would you give this episode on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, it was going to be a little bit lower, but since I came up with this theory about uh, Rutherford backstory about how he and um, he's tied in with the uh, the whole uh, Kelvin universe, I don't know if I have time to talk about that, but I'll try to be quick. Um, so, didn't uh, didn't Paramount mention that they were going to be coming out with a uh, Section Thirty One series? They, they that's been that. in the talks for a while, yes. And who is supposed to be the leader of that Section 31? Ash Tyler. Well, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, Ash Tyler is supposed to be the one who's the main person, right? Okay, and wasn't Giorgio also going to be in there too from the, multi, yeah. uh, the ultimate yep. universe? Yep. Could she be also in the whole plot line where Rutherford gets his uh, cybernetic thing and it could be that Section 31 could have put it on it? Possible. Anything is possible. We we don't know. We don't know where Carl sent her. It's totally possible. Yeah, I don't know. I I was putting those together. I was like, you know, that's probably why the TNG might know about the alternate universe and it comes to a Giorgio from the section 31 timeline thing. So I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't know. So what do you, what do you, what do you I, go with? Scale of one to 10. Uh, I'm going to give this uh, episode a 9.7. Wow. So we got a 9.5, 9.5, 9.7 9.0. 9. from the four of us. Excellent. It's pretty good. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our show for tonight. I want to say thank you so much to Ray in the Bronx for giving us a call and checking in with us. And I want to say happy anniversary to Ray and his wife. So thank you for calling Ray. And we missed Paul tonight, but we'll give him a little bit of a shout out as well. And I want to let you guys know that Monday, same bat time, same bat channel, we're going to have Philo Barnhart on. And he was one of the original animators on Star Trek, the motion picture, he drew V'ger and the uh, Klingon photon torpedoes in the opening sequence of the movie. And uh, he got to see it on the big screen in full HD, 4K, restoration for the director's edition. And he's going to come on and talk with us a little bit about what it was like seeing his work redone and what he thought about their version of the film after working on the original film. So that's pretty cool. That'll be Monday at 7.30 p.m. right here. I want to take this opportunity to say that our fan score was 9.1, and our score from all of us was 9.4. So we like the episode just a little bit better than our fans. So that's pretty cool. We didn't have Paul's 
score, but that's pretty cool. And I want to also let you guys know how much we appreciate each and every single one of you guys. And make sure you head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond, and let us know where you're listening from so we can give you a future fan shout out. So um, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and I want to say thank you to our very own David for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. And I want to say thank you to our very own Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric. You better believe it. Amazing time as always, guys. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Oh, always, always fun. And I want to let you guys know that yours truly, Uncle Jim, is going to be at Super Mega Fest this weekend in uh, Wilmingham, Massachusetts. We'll be there, so uh, give a look. You can't miss me, and maybe I'll let you touch my bat with. Who knows? If you run into me, ask me. I'll let you touch it. Anyways, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying thank you for listening. Trek fans are the best fans. You better believe that. Please, everybody, be good to each other and stay safe. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.